Selamat datang kembali semuanya. Welcome back to the Indo Techno Podcast, Season 3, Episode 20. I'm Alan Hallowell, Venture Partner at Leading Early Stage Indonesian VC, AC Ventures, and Founder of Startup Consultancy, Gizmo Advisors. Now, consumer insights are of elemental significance to Indonesia's B2C, or business-to-consumer internet space, as they are, frankly, across almost all traditional offline businesses, whether you are a consumer packaged goods or CPG company, a travel agency, or a restaurant. Accurate customer insights are, for instance, essential in achieving the all-important product market fit that allows a startup to grow exponentially. Inaccurate insights into the consumer, meanwhile, can lead to the untimely decline of a company's services or products. Dr. Timothy Astandu, CEO and co-founder of leading Indonesian consumer insight platform Populix, joins us today to discuss the state of consumer familiarity that both offline and online industries in Indonesia have achieved and what Populix is doing to sharpen its clientele's powers of observation and customer understanding. Great to have you join us today, Timothy. Hi, Alan. Thanks for inviting me, and it's an absolute pleasure to be here. Great. We're looking forward to this interview. Now, Timothy, Populix bills itself as a consumer insights platform. Tell us about the initial inspiration for the company and how leadership eventually came together. So the idea for Populix was actually born over drinks in a basement bar in Cambridge. At that time, Eileen was doing her master's, I was doing my PhD. The Indonesian startup scene was still nascent and we were brainstorming ideas of startups in Europe and the US we could import back home to Indonesia. To be exact, we're looking at dinosaur industries that we can truly make an impact in. We were looking also at spaces where we have an advantage that we know well. And we don't want to be in a space where things are very competitive and we have 10,000 other players in that particular space. So companies like Qualtrics and SurveyMonkey, they came up in this conversation and it became one of the ideas. If we fast forward a few years later, Eileen had returned back home to Indonesia and she launched her own ready-to-drink brand, which you can still find in Indonesian supermarkets to this day. She was looking for her next gig. I just came back to Indonesia and I was looking for my next way forward as I was an academic. We reconnected, we launched this idea, we tested it out, we joined an accelerator, we gained really good traction, but investors told us that we needed a CTO to be investable because neither of us, Eileen and myself, had any legitimate tech background. As fate would have it, Eileen's future husband happened to be in Seattle and he met Jonah, who became our future CTO. So Jonah, his background in the U.S., he was the first engineer in one of the fastest growing market research startups in the U.S. And he was looking for a way back home to Indonesia. As fate would have it, we actually all live within five kilometer radius of each other. We got married to different people within weeks of each other and we just instantly clicked. We got our seed funding in late 2019, and that's how the leadership came together. Fantastic. Very liberal portions of serendipity, as you say, fate and circumstance. Now, let's talk about what existed prior to the advent of Populix. In the lack of data-driven consumer insights platforms such as Populix, what do, for instance, consumer products companies otherwise do to research certain target demographics? Yeah, so this is a great question. And I think companies in the olden days, they will try to recruit specific respondent groups in the most inefficient ways possible. And what I'm sharing here are some stories I heard firsthand from our own clients in Indonesia. So one example, we have foot soldiers working for research companies 
literally knocking door to door and checking what homemakers have in their kitchens, in their pantries. We also have recruiters attempting to intercept shoppers at supermarket cashiers and literally to check what they have in their baskets or their trolleys. And lastly, I've even heard of recruiters standing in parking lots looking at specific makes of cars just to wait for the drivers to return so those drivers could be interviewed. So as you can imagine, this process is super slow, it's super expensive, and definitely prone to cheating. Wow, those are frightful images that you evoke. Now, in terms of technology-enabled approaches, there's a wide range of tracking platforms throughout the market, as I understand it. Some of them are point-of-sales or POS. Some are attached to the massive e-commerce platforms and payments tools that see up to billions of dollars of GMV, gross merchandise value, and GTV, gross transaction value. Where do we sit in this spectrum of solutions? So I think our strength at Populix is that we help companies ask very specific questions to a very specific group of targeted audience. So having big data as described in the question is complementary to this purpose, I think. These huge data points can help you paint a very good helicopter view of things. And obviously, many companies see them as a weather report, quote unquote, that they must subscribe to. But essentially, they tend to be blunt tools. So to answer your question, I think at Populix, we sit in a position where we allow companies to obtain really deep, detailed insights that you can only obtain by asking a person directly at the micro and meso levels of analysis. Now, speaking in the most general of terms, Timothy, what are the two or three most important areas of inquiry that we are seeing amongst our clientele? Do they examine a certain geography, a specific demographic, a behavior? And what does that focus amongst our clientele tell us? This is a really tough question for me. But if I may overgeneralize and if I may be forgiven for doing so, then my answer would be first, brand health, and secondly, consumer behavior. By brand health, what I mean is how a brand is being perceived by its customers, as well as how it's being compared to competitor brands. And with regards to the latter, I'm referring to the lifestyles of a target market. So what they buy, how they spend their money and time, what piques their interest, as well as the social media they use, etc. For me, these two lines of inquiry yield two very interesting conclusions, actually. First, the market is becoming hyper-competitive. Many products and services are at risk of becoming a commodity, and so building and having this strong brand equity could be perceived as a way to rise above the competition. And secondly, trends and cycles are moving faster than ever before, and many businesses find it difficult to not only understand, but to also navigate these changes. So I can give a very simple but powerful example. Consumer behavior has turned head over heels before COVID, during COVID, and now post-pandemic. And this is all in the span of two, three years. Yeah, I'm part of that conspiracy. Now, would love it if you could give us maybe two case studies of how the Populix platform is best being used in your eyes. So 55% of our clients are actually experienced research buyers, and the remaining 45% are first-time users. So the first case study for the sophisticated research buyers, for them, garbage in means garbage out. And they use our platform to recruit highly targeted respondents who they know to be authentic and offer genuine opinions. There's a foundation to this, actually. Jonah, our CTO, which I mentioned earlier, he built a credit scoring system that allows you to actually assess respondent quality. And we assess every single one of our 300,000 panelists. 
In fact, if you have a very bad grade, so if you're like D to F rated respondent, we would actually expel you from the panel and we try to replenish them with new ones every month. On the other hand, we also have a self-service product called Poplite. So this is the second case study. Even without any like prior research experience, this tool can help you determine sample size, select your target respondents, build your own questionnaire, or even choose from template surveys. You can even pay online for these things. So instead of just getting raw data, our insights dashboard actually explained in layman terms what each number means and thus what actions you need to take next. So we're seeing a lot of small F&B brands, academics, university students, and individual users doing their dissertations or, you know, doing simple studies through this poplite. Very cool. Now, I assume this panel, this group of respondents, at some point, many of them are seeking incentives to continue to participate. Could you tell us about how you apply gamification in that regard? Of course. And I think it's important to know that at Populix, we don't want to be a survey app that purely attracts survey hunters. That's an image we try to stay away from. What we want to be thought of is as a lifestyle app that's fun to play with when you're bored sitting in the toilet or you're doing your daily commute. So this became the philosophy of our gamification strategy. Inside the app, you can do really fun personality quizzes. You can do daily polls on contemporary topics. You can win lucky draw tickets that allow you to compete in monthly prizes, such as a PlayStation 5 or having lunch with a famous person, etc. You can also level up and gain higher tier status in the app as you complete more studies. And we even have plans to introduce NFT rewards, as well as doing research in a metaverse setting sometime in the future. So my point is we want to make research fun by integrating boring questions into exciting games. One example I can give, we have an in-app game called PopQuest. So PopQuest is basically a family field type game and respondents are supposed to guess the top answers for a particular topic. But for the researchers behind the scenes at Populix, this is essentially a top of mind survey. And by analyzing the way you answer questions, we can determine the top of mind brands for different industries. Gotcha. So gamification in many different flavors, clearly. Now, Populix also undertakes what you call public polls. And I'd love to ask you, what are the two most interesting polls that you guys have completed? Yeah, certainly a very fun question. We definitely do interesting daily polls every day. We do a lot of polls on serious topics, but we also try to do fun public polls too. Having just spoken about top of mind, the two most interesting polls that are popping in my head right now, the first, the things on Korea. Indonesia is a country fascinated with Korea. Twitter released a blog post that Indonesia is the most Korea-loving country in the world. In our own surveys, we found that K-pop and K-drama polls actually always get high numbers. In fact, 88% of women we surveyed claim that Korean movies and dramas are their favorite sources of entertainment. And secondly, another interesting poll we found recently, we did a survey of 3,000 people and we found that Indonesians love to eat at night. They claim that they're hungry and they eat well past midnight. So instant noodles, bread, and crackers are the top go-to snacks or meals when they're packaged and they want to eat something at midnight. Those are some entertaining insights. Now let's talk about one of the more influential demographics in Indonesia. Everyone seeks to profile what Gen Z is looking for. What interesting insights can Populix share about this segment? Yeah, I think at Populix, we pride ourselves as the industry leader in Gen Z insights. And as far as I know, we're the only company in Indonesia 
selling quarterly data sets on this particular group of respondents or generation group. For me, I think there are three very interesting insights about Gen Z that I can share. First, it's probably something that's quite well known and probably quite cliche by now, but Gen Z are easily bored and they need to be interested by something new pretty much every other day. The second one for me is perhaps the most crucial takeaway point for any business if they want to really understand what Gen Z is all about. So they can be a difficult target audience, but spending your time and resources in appealing to them could turn out to be a good investment. By 2030, Gen Z's share of employment will have grown from about 10% today to about a third of the total Indonesian workforce. And by 2030 also, they will have seven times the disposable income as compared to today. And last but not least, Gen Z is the first fully digital generation that grew up with advanced technology and also a pandemic during their formative years. So they are extremely tech savvy and they are super glued to their phones. I can share some interesting stats about this. For example, 65% of them actually listen to a podcast at least once a month. In the same time frame, 88% of them use social media, 66% of them shop online, and 57% of them are actually financially literate and use mobile-based financial services. Basically, any consumer brand or service that really wants to grow over time needs to access these insights. I'm amazed at how much wealthier and influential Gen Z will become by, you say, 2030, I believe. Now, I wanted to ask you about how Populix applies artificial intelligence. What are the most material applications of AI that Populix sees in its business? I think there are two very interesting material applications for AI in our business. We try to get a viewpoint internal application as well as external application. For the internal application, as I referred to before, we built a credit scoring system to analyze how good or bad a respondent is. So the AI would analyze parameters such as past answers, whether the answers make sense, how much time people are spending inside the app, how many clicks they are clicking for a particular survey, and all these parameters would come up with a score. So that's like the first implementation. And the second implementation is the external one, as I mentioned before. So by having so many data points on previous surveys, we can actually predict what is the probability of a respondent answering the next question and what their answer would be. So this is very useful in predicting upcoming trends. And secondly, for our self-service product, Poplite, we can actually predict what a surveyor will ask next based on their previous question. So we can help them design their own surveys and tell them what other relevant questions would be of interest to them that they can actually include in their own survey. So I guess these two would be the main applications of AI at Populix at the moment. Understood. Now, I probably should have led our interview with this most basic of questions, but how should we think about the size of this consumer insights market opportunity? That's a question I always get asked about. I always like to think about this question in terms of red ocean and blue ocean markets. The red ocean market is to target the big established companies who may spend around 1% of their annual revenues on research. The market size in Indonesia is probably in the low billions. And by some estimates, market research is worth about 80 billion US dollars globally right now. This is of course a sizable and important market for us. But what excites me the most is to think about the blue ocean market of individual users, university students, SMEs, and other groups that are actually usually ignored by research and data companies. 
According to some government estimates, there are as much as 60 million SMEs in Indonesia alone. This is a huge number. Many people will say that it's going to be extremely difficult to get SMEs to pay for anything, let alone data research. Although this may be true, we only need a small chunk of such a massive amount of potential customers to be successful. And this is just to consider Indonesia by herself without considering other markets. So in fact, we're very bullish on this blue ocean market because it is exactly these groups of people that are powering the good traction right now that we have for our pipeline suite of products. Understood. So our modus operandi is instead looking at some of the smaller players. Now, what comps should investors think of as our North Star globally in terms of where Populix is headed? There are certainly several companies that inspire us, but most recently, Suzy has been the most inspirational for us at Populix. Got you. How do you spell Suzy? Suzy, S-U-Z-Y. They're based in the U.S. They've raised about $100 million, if I'm not wrong. And similar to us, they're focused on building high-quality panels, extracting deep and real-time insights from these respondents. Understood. Now, what prevents a large global player from entering Indonesia and dominating the space with what may be, I don't know, superior technology and offerings? Yeah, that is also a good question. I think what gives me courage and strength is the fact that incumbent global players actually have been trying to do this for years now with limited success, therefore giving us plenty of room to go. Whenever I think about this question, I always like to think about the local context as mattering a lot. In the Western world and also in developed countries where most of these global players are based, people like to do surveys on their laptops and they're accustomed to doing rather complicated tasks. But in developing countries like Indonesia, people are super sticky to their mobile phones and their attention span is often limited to a dozen taps on the phone. So it becomes obvious to me that in order to crack this market, you must be able to collect all kinds of data in the research spectrum to very simple methods via a single mobile app. And also don't forget to add in an extra layer of trickiness, which is the fact that most Indonesians have modest smartphones and so your app must be interesting enough for users to use regularly and therefore not delete from their phones to conserve space. The recipe for getting this right is tough, I think, and I don't think throwing money at the problem will work. So in this context, a nimble and pragmatic startup like us has a good chance of succeeding and competing against resourceful but old-school giants. Understood. So instead of just looking outside in with that competitive question just now, I wanted to ask you about outbound growth opportunities. Would Populix ever consider regional expansion at any point? And if so, what of our work is portable and what requires localization in a new market? Absolutely. Indonesia is by far the largest market in Southeast Asia, and we definitely want to be the king and queen of our own home turf. But we do have regional expansion plans in the not-so-distant horizon. Specifically, we want to expand to markets with very similar demographics like Indonesia. So the first countries that come to mind would be Thailand, Vietnam, and the Philippines. At first, we will focus only on expanding Poplite, our SaaS product, to these new markets. The reason simply being that Poplite is the easiest product to repackage for foreign markets. It only requires like a translation into a local language. We will only consider regional expansion for our enterprise products, perhaps at a later date. And Timothy, what exactly is the Populix business model at this point? Our business model is actually very simple. Again, if I may dichotomize our clients into two umbrella groups consisting of first experience, 
and second, first-time research buyers. So for the first group, our business model is a standard B2B play that I think is a very well-trodden path among other data and research companies in their startup to unicorn journey. So we target the big established companies, earn their trust, try to get a bigger slice of their annual budget each year through longer term contracts and making them subscribe to all our different products and data sets. Then follow all of these brands by opening in new markets wherever these brands operate in. But for the second group, we actually do a SaaS play. We're utilizing a SaaS model here. I think here it's important to make doing research as easy and as intuitive as possible and let the users do their own thing. So I think here also the scalability comes more naturally as there is very little handholding. And as I mentioned before, opening in new markets can be as simple as translating our app and surveys into different local languages. Gotcha. Now, what are the growth targets that we have in mind for the company by the end of, for instance, 2023? So far, we are very grateful that since our inception, we managed to go by at least 3x year on year. And I think that is a trajectory that we definitely want to maintain by 2023. We also talked about regional expansion and hopefully sometime this year, we'll be able to make groundwork on this and then execute the plan also sometime in 2023. Sounds like some exciting work you have in front of you. Timothy, great having the chance to discuss Indonesia's clearly very critical need for sharper and more reliable consumer insights, insights that you all at Populix are addressing. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks, Alan. It's been a pleasure joining your podcast and wishing you and all the listeners all the best. Thank you very much. We indeed hope our listeners have enjoyed today's episode. As always, please consider sharing any feedback that you have about the Indotechno podcast with us. Terima kasih. Sampai jumpa lagi. 